Hey there, it's Dr. Heidi. You're listening to It's Not Normal, It's Toxic, a podcast geared towards the things you may be misunderstanding about the difficult relationships in your life. I did not understand it when I was in it, but I definitely understand it now, and I want to share that understanding with you so that you too can find the courage you didn't know you had to make the changes you didn't think you could make. Today, I want to welcome to the show, Elle Barr. She's an experienced family law attorney with deep commitment to serving children and families. She graduated with high honors from law school and began her legal career in which she served several different positions that extended her knowledge and her experience in her field. Currently, she serves as a GAL in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. She also serves as a judicial education coordinator for Our Family Wizard, the communication tool developed to aid in the communication between now separated parents. In this role, she educates judges, lawyers, and other family law professionals on the online tools that are used to reduce conflict and increase accountability in high conflict co-parenting situations. She frequently travels across the U.S. to represent the company and speak at key events such as industry conferences and continuing legal education seminars. Hi, Elle. Welcome to the show. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you for having me. I'm thrilled to be with you today. Um, my listeners will probably believe it when I say um, I just hogged 45 minutes of her time before I pushed record because I was so excited to have somebody like this with all of the knowledge that she has in the areas that I have no, not a ton of knowledge in. And the reason I say my listeners will believe is because Dr. Heidi talks a lot, a lot, a lot. So they're already feeling sorry for you. So thank you for letting me pick your brain for 45 minutes. And now I'm making you record. The pleasure was all mine. <laughs> so first, tell us a little bit about yourself and your background, because you have extensive experience and um, hands in a lot of the things that my clients are dealing with right now. So let us know all the fabulous things about you and what you do. Oh, well, thank you. I am a family law attorney. I serve as a court-appointed guardian ad litem in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. I'm also the judicial education coordinator for Our Family Wizard, which is a co-parenting platform for divorced and separated parents. And I have been practicing law for 20 years as of this past December. I grew up in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. I am a child of an intact marriage. My parents have been married for 52 years and they are the true example of a happy and healthy marriage. They love each other unconditionally and deeply. They're so committed to each other. It's it's really beautiful. Um, so growing I'm, up, I kind of lived in a little bubble. I didn't know about divorce. My parents didn't have any divorced friends. Um, I learned about it when I got into high school and I was shocked. Um, and then from there, life started to change and I became interested in families and family dynamics. And then I got into law school and took a family law course and my life changed from there. It is 
it is definitely when you look back on our lives, the different things that we've been through and how our life has changed. I know that's what lives are supposed to do. Um, I was just going to tell you last Saturday, my parents celebrated their 57th. Uh, so it, we, we need to be thankful that we have that strong example because a, lo a lot of people don't. And we know in the work that we do, you know, it's, it's something to be grateful for when your parents are still, are still married. So happy anniversary, mom and dad. I talk about my dad a lot on the podcast. Um, he's been a huge supporter of, of me and my work. So people feel like they know my dad. Um, okay. The whole having your hands in a lot of different things. One of the things that I wanted to talk about today, because I know that both my clients and my listeners, um, going through the process of divorce and separation, some of them will be appointed a guardian at litem, G-A-L. Um, they have a lot of questions about it. I still have some questions about it because I did not use a GAL. I did not use an attorney. I did not use the court system. Okay, we'll quit talking about all the things Dr. Heidi did wrong. But um, anyway, tell us how you became a GAL and what your, I'm just going to say what your favorite thing is about being able to serve in that, um, in that type of role. I'll start by answering the question by just defining and explaining what a GAL is for your listeners. So GAL, it's an acronym. It stands for guardian ad litem and a guardian ad litem is a court appointed attorney. And the role of the GAL is to serve as a third party neutral, an arm of the court. And as a GAL, what I do is I um, conduct a thorough and comprehensive investigation into the facts, the circumstances, and all the issues that are relevant to the matter. So when I am appointed, I review all the filings. I obtain collaterals. I interview the attorneys, the parents, teachers, therapists, friends, grandparents, and anyone else who is important to the child's life. And most importantly, I conduct a one-on-one -on -one with the child in both homes and then in a neutral location, whether it's at a park or a library. After completing my investigative work, I draft and I file a report with my findings and my recommendations with the court and my recommendations give the court um, a best interest analysis. So here in Pennsylvania, the statute, the best interest statute has 16 factors. I go through those 16 factors and I explain to the court um, how each factor weighs. And then at the end, I give a recommendation with respect to what is in the best interest of the child or the children. And then just to answer the question of how I became a GAL, so just going back to my childhood, also, I'll talk about my dad a little bit, um, similar to how you talking about your dad. That's why all your listeners can know about the important dads. Yes. My dad would <laughs> no, dads are really, really important, especially to little girls. Um, I'm one of six children. I'm number four. So being in the middle, I was always one who was negotiating, trying to understand sides 
both sides of the fight. I was the problem solver, the peacemaker, the voice of reason. And I felt growing up like my dad had a lot, a lot of respect and admiration for that role that I served. And so after um, I finished college, I wasn't sure 100% what I wanted to do professionally. I knew I wanted to work with children and with families. So he encouraged me to take the LSAT. And so I did. Um, I scored pretty solid. I had a great GPA, um, took me to law school. I went to Rutgers. And when I was in my first year of law school, I fell in love with family law. I took all my core classes and then I took family law. And there was just something so special about it. I was really, really drawn to it. And the issues, I guess, coming from a big family and having that mindset, I knew it was what I wanted to do. And so when I first started practicing, I also, I was drawn to the GAL role, to being an attorney for the child. You know, I had to get my feet wet. I had to serve in all the other roles. And, you know, fast forward 20 years, all I do now, the only law I practice at this point is serving as a court-appointed GAL. I I love that. Are all G, this is just for my own, all GALs are licensed attorneys. Is that correct? It depends on your jurisdiction. There are some states where the statute provides for mental health professionals where they could be court appointed to serve as the guardian ad litem. So you would have to take a look at your state statute. So Pennsylvania, for example, it could be an attorney or it could be a mental health practitioner. Okay. Um, I think um, I live in Illinois. I think that's probably the same thing because I remember having some that were licensed mental health professionals. So um a few questions, um, because my listeners are all in very similar situations. Most of the people that I work with are not going to have an amicable divorce where they are able to divide things, agree on the kids, co-parent. Um, it's it's just not going to happen because of the need for control, you know, of the person that that they're separating from. And I know when when a GAL is appointed, a lot of the fear, which would have been my fear if if I had used one um, or if I had been appointed one, would be, you know, the toxic personality is going to be very, very good at only letting um, their attorney, the court, the GAL, um, any type of, you know, social services. You're only going to see the side of the toxic person that they want you to see. And, you know, me, myself, as a, as a spouse who was divorcing someone who was completely different in public than in private was always very frightened because I knew that the people who mattered would not see the true side of him that they needed to see in order to make a fair judgment. So how, just for reassurance of the listeners that that may need to use a GAL, how do we trust the fact that or override our fear of we hope the GAL can see through, you know, what's what's really going on? And I'm sure you've had, you know, instances where where you picked up on, oh, yeah, this is this is not who they really are. But but how can we and how can I reassure the clients that that you do um, your job in depth enough 
and you're educated enough that you will you will see it because it is a huge, very anxiety uh, ridden topic for a lot of my people. That's a great question. I'm so happy you asked me what to do to reassure your clients to try and mitigate the fear that that's legitimate. Um, first and foremost, a GAL is court appointed. The judge has a roster and the judge is going to go through that roster and pick an attorney or if you're jurisdictional laws, mental health professional, um, mental health pro to work with the family and serve as an arm of the court. The GAL is neutral. The GAL is coming in to investigate. The GAL is not looking to take sides. When I start, I say, you know, I'm team child. Whatever the child's name is, that's the team I'm on. I'm not on anybody else's team. I am there to give a best interest recommendation to the court. So over the years, I have represented hundreds of children when really important decisions need to be made with respect to custody and visitation. I, I've seen it all. And I've represented every age from just a few months old until 18. And um, there's a quote that I like to share, and I think it's going to resonate with you and your listeners. And the quote is, um, there's a big, well, I'll get to the quote, but there's a very big difference in the way parties present and behave in family division court and criminal division. So the quote is, um, criminal court is where bad people are on their best behavior. In family court, good people are at their worst. So we know this in the courtroom, how people are behaving. It's because of the situation. It's because of the circumstances. And also, when you go out, when you go out as a GAL, you know emotions are high. You see it when you're in the courtroom, you see their behavior, you see right. they're at their worst. And when you go out, you also know that sometimes people are able to shift and they're able to present in a different way. And you could tell if you could tell a hundred percent if children are coached, but you could also tell if parents are, are either coached or they're not really acting the way that they have been portrayed and presented in all the paperwork. And again, I do not go out. I do not conduct one-on-one -on -one meetings with parents, with children, unless I have reviewed all of the filings going to the very beginning with the initial complaint that's filed and then going through all the petitions, all the motions. So the petition for modification, the petition for contempt, it could be, you know, a hundred plus filings on the docket. I'm going to go through all of those before I go out, before I investigate, before I talk to anyone. So I know what is happening, what has happened with this family and what is happening now. So I hope that could provide some reassurance to the clients that you work with and your listeners. When we go out, we are not looking to take sides. We are coming out so that we can investigate, so that we can learn from you, from your truth, what is going on so that decisions can be made that serve your family and most importantly, the children. That's, that is very reassuring because I know, you know, you really feel like a lot of people are against you and, and you've heard threats, you know, of, of the kids being taken away. And I think that that's very calming to know that the GALs put the time in that they're, that they're supposed to. And you just, you said something that 
that I would have never thought of it from this perspective because um, your toxic personality really tries to get everybody on their team. So, you know, they're going to make sure that most people know their story. So I always felt like it didn't matter who it was. I had to make sure I could explain and defend myself because the toxic personality in my life had already told everybody their side. So when you just reminded me that, no, the, the GAL is neutral because, because we're not going to pick sides. We're not going to decide this parent um, sounds more authentic than this parent. You don't do that. Your, your job is to, is to take care of the kids. And I would have definitely felt like you were against me if I would have been in a situation like that. So just reminding me that, that you guys are neutral just gave me a completely different perspective, which by the way, I told you that's what you had to do with me on this podcast was to give me a different perspective. Um, so thank you for that because that just made me feel calm. You're welcome. Thank you for giving me the opportunity to share that because I'm sure there are many, many people who are similarly situated, who are terrified that their kids are going to be taken from them, that uh, another attorney is now involved in the case, that they're going to have to defend themselves, that, you know, their co-parent presents much better than they do. And when they, when you're going in, when you're going into court or you're going into a deposition, you're prepared and you're going in to tell your truth, to be honest, to share the facts. And the attorneys, the court, the GAL, we're all looking for the facts. The court is called the finder of facts because they're not looking for opinions. That's why hearsay is not admitted out of court statements offered for the truth of the matter asserted therein because they're not reliable. They're not credible. Hearsay can't come in. The same thing. When I'm going out, I'm looking for the facts. I want to know exactly what's happening. And I'm obtaining collaterals. And if things aren't lining up, if I'm being told, well, my child has this medical condition or my child has an IEP. And when I request the medical records and I request the school collaterals and it's not matching, I know something's off. And then that's going to affect the credibility of that parent and what they're sharing with me. So it's always best to be open, to be honest. Parents do not need to mention every single issue and everything that's happened in the past and everything that's gone on between yourself and your partner and in-laws and relatives. What the GAL wants to know is what has happened, what significant has happened in the past, what is happening now, and how can your child thrive, have confidence, be happy, be safe and secure? What would be the best custody arrangement to ensure all of that? So you just answered um, the question that I was going to ask you next. So that was perfect because with, with the feeling of threat, when a GAL is coming in, um, I get this, I get this question a lot. Okay. I'm meeting with the GAL today. How am I supposed to act? And, and you, you just mentioned it's, it's not about talking for an hour and a half about everything that's happened for the last 12 years. We feel like we have to, to make sure they have the whole story. But, but you're saying, which is pretty much the, the way I um, suggest people do it. So I'm thankful that our suggestions basically match. It's a fact thing. Um, it's it, emotions kind of have to stay out of it because you're the neutral party. Is it okay if somebody has a list of the things that they want to make sure 
that they talk about to keep them on track? Or would you perceive, oh, they're sitting here with a list as like, oh, here we go. There's a list. Because my clients are very concerned about how the GAL is going to perceive them because they know they're going to hear untruths from the opposite parent. Right. And would you go into a job interview without preparing, without having a list of questions, um, not doing research? The same for an interview with the GAL, the same when going for a deposition. You want to be prepared. And I would actually have great respect for a parent who comes in fully prepared, who brings the medical records, the report cards, uh, recommendations from specialists, the names and numbers of the therapist, that's going to make my job so much easier. And if the parent comes in with almost an agenda, not to lead the meeting, that's the role of the GAL to ask the questions and to conduct the interview, but with points, bullet points, or topics or issues that he or she wants to share, that is something that I would have a lot of appreciation for. And, and I'm sure fellow colleagues would feel exactly the same. It's going to make our job much, much easier to complete that full and comprehensive investigation. If we have all the information right there at our fingertips at that very first interview, I generally, I follow up after the first interview and I request all the collaterals and I, you know, I address the questions that were raised that couldn't be discussed during the initial meeting. And if the parent comes in prepared, a lot of that follow-up work does not need to take place. And the GALs, they, they will then have in their mind um, this impression of you as a parent who cares, who's prepared, and who's ready to proceed to do what's best for their child. Okay, that is that is fantastic ad advice. Let me ask you this, okay? Um, we, I, I say we, meaning when, when you are in, especially emo emotionally abusive relationships, we really try to cover up and pretend that everything's fine. So, so we don't we don't talk about it a lot. A lot of people don't understand emotional abuse. So, so when a GAL walks in and we know that there is a lot riding on um, the decision of the GAL or the recommendation of the GAL. We, if they know, if the clients, if my clients know that they need to address um, some of the uh, mistreatment or some of the bad behaviors, knowing that they want to be heard, what would you say is the best way for them to present, you know, the the things that went on in the relationship that that may have been detrimental to to their physical safety, their emotional safety, but also the kids? Because when we start talking about it, we could talk till next Tuesday because we haven't talked about it. And and I you had mentioned you guys don't need to hear all that, but but we need to make sure that you understand that it's there. So how is the best way to present? Um, the, the relationship was very emotionally abusive. We were very controlled. We couldn't see my family, you know, that kind of thing, because I know you don't want to sit for two hours and listen to the last 12 years. So if someone needed to tell you, how do you like to receive that information? That's a great question. And when I go in, I am fully prepared. I have reviewed the docket. I know if PFAs have been filed. So 
that stands for protection from abuse. It's similar to filing a restraining order. Um, and in the civil realm, it would be filing civil restraints. However, I'm not gonna know if there's been intimate partner violence or domestic violence, if there are no filings. So it is critical that parties share that information with the guardian ad litem, especially if there is nothing on the docket that the GAL will be able to review and will be able to use when making recommendations. So if there has been manipulation or um, isolation, intimidation, emotional abuse, humiliation, any of that, even just feeling powerless in the relationship, all of that needs to be conveyed to the GAL, but it needs to be shared through facts. The GAL doesn't wanna hear opinions or feelings or thoughts. The GAL needs to know on June 3rd, 2023, at the swimming pool, the following happened. No civil restraints were filed. No PFA fi was filed. It didn't rise to that level. However, um, because of this, the child is now uh, you know, in fear or there's distrust or because of this incident, I now am in fear or I feel um. I feel powerless. So what the GAL needs to know is if there has been um, any type of domestic violence, um, control, um, coercion, if it's not on the docket, it needs to be shared, but it needs to be shared in a way that it's fact-focused and child-centered. The GAL really, really wants to know how it, the GAL cares about the entire family, but the focus is on the best interest of the child because the GAL is giving a custody recommendation to the court. So the GAL needs to know how has this impacted the child and the family dynamics. So keep all of that in mind. Um, if you're going to have an interview with the GAL coming up, there's nothing on the docket. Make sure when you're preparing, you put a bullet point um, domestic violence or control and coercion, and then be fact specific, put some dates, times, locations, and a little blurb about what happened and the outcome of of, of that incident. Okay. Um, this just brought up um, another question because as you were talking, I, I, I remembered something. Um, you know, and this is a lot of this is from my experience. I did not talk about my situation for two reasons. One, people do not understand the depth of, of emotional abuse unless, unless you're in it. They don't understand the trauma bond. They don't understand why you're scared to leave. Um, and so I didn't talk about it when I was in it. And then when I had the opportunity to use some of the resources, um, like, like you're talking about the court system, and I mentioned that, you know, there, the things that had happened, I was then frowned upon because, well, why are you still there then? Or why are you just bringing this up now? And, and a lot of, I, I work a lot with emotional abuse more than domestic violence. And what I had found is it comes back on, on say me, because I just tried to withstand it all the years. And, and now all of a sudden I'm bringing it up. So either I look like the person that's just trying to make the divorce difficult, or I look like a negligent parent 
who who up until now didn't protect my kids. And when you say you're scared, you hear stuff like, well, was there domestic violence? Well, no, I would just get in trouble a lot. So I, I didn't dare because I was scared of them. And, and they received that by, you shouldn't be scared of them if, if you're not getting physically hurt. So then I got reprimanded because I was very, very scared of my former and to, to have conflict with him. So when I did bring it up, um, I was the one that got in a scolding for neglecting and not leaving. So, so I know that there there's clients that are, are going to hesitate to tell that because they've been silenced for so long that all of a sudden now after 10 years, they have to pop out and say this and they've never said anything about it before. Do you, do you have any recommendations on how to handle that? Because I know most of my clients will sugarcoat it because of that very reason. And that's a tough question. I mean, my expertise is with children, representing children, communicating with children. I wish I, wish I had more experience with victims and survivors. I generally will refer them to advocates to, in my community, we have um, the Women's Center and Shelter where there's volunteers and resources. So if there is um, concern about how to share your mm -hmm. past and that trauma being controlled, being hesitant to speak up about it, I would suggest that that person obtain an advocate, be you know a coach, a, a, someone at a DV center, someone who could help them share their truth. Um, for purposes of the GAL interview, it is important that the GAL knows if there if there's been a history of domestic violence, and if there's hesitation in sharing that give the name of the advocate, of the coach, of whoever is aware of the DV and let that person share what happened. If if you have not yet come to terms with it, you're struggling, you're, you know, you're in your own counseling, you're working on your healing. This is, you know, reactivating the trauma. You don't want to talk to talk about it. Put it on someone else to share that truth. But it's okay. very, very important that the GAL know about the past okay. and know all the circumstances surrounding the situation. Yeah, um, and I'm sorry to put you on the spot. That just, it it kind of brought me back a minute to, and I put myself back in the situation. Um, and again, you know, kind of what I was up against is there wasn't a ton of physical violence, but it was very, very heavy control and very heavy psychological manipulation. And so so even, even when I would reach out to the domestic violence or the violence prevention, you know, services and resources in my area, I didn't really qualify because it it wasn't a physically violent, I mean, eventually it did get to that when I started standing up for myself, but um, yeah, you just got my brain spinning with that. So I might have to, I might have to revisit that, but yes, I do agree. They need to find someone and I should have found someone who could help me tell my story to, because then you don't have to fear. Um, okay. One more question. What is the most effective way that the parent can utilize the GAL? Like, 
Um, is there things that that they can do to help the GAL, or do you guys just prefer you let them, you do the work, and 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 you don't need a ton of help, or what what is the best way for people to interact and and help you do your job, or you don't need help? I guess that's my question. It's important to remember the GAL is court appointed, so the GAL does not represent either parent. The GAL represents the best interest of the child. The GAL is an arm of the court. So the parent does not need to do any work. The GAL will make requests for collaterals, documentation, whatever is needed. If the parent happens to have all the medical records, the educational records, um, the names and numbers of all the different providers, letters from the therapists, have that readily available and share it with the GAL. Don't make it hard for the GAL. Don't um, refuse to sign the ROIs. That's the releases of information. If you refuse to sign the, o the ROI, the GAL can then, the GAL cannot do his or her job. The GAL cannot speak to any of the mental health professionals. The GAL cannot obtain the collaterals that are necessary. So the best practice, the best thing to do as a parent um, who is working with a GAL is to be prepared, to be cooperative, and to turn over any documentation or records that are requested. The GAL is going to get them one way or another. If I have to go and I have to petition the court and have the court hold the parent in contempt for refusal to sign the ROI so that I cannot conduct my investigation, I will do that because I need to get to the bottom of what's happening and to give a best interest recommendation, I need to thoroughly investigate the matter. So best practice is to be open, to be honest, to be prepared and to cooperate. So, so I love that. And, and really I, I needed you to answer that. You answered it earlier. I needed you to repeat it because most of my clients are very emotionally wired. And so for us to stick to facts is difficult. So so the facts is what the GALs are looking for. That's what she's saying. And it's it it is, we we do know that you have an emotional situation, but the facts is what is going to help the GAL do their job. Okay. Thank I, you. I don't I don't want your listeners or individuals going through a divorce or separation um, to feel as though the GAL does not care about them and their circumstances and what they're going through. Of course. GALs care about the entire family, but the focus is on the child and what is going to be in the best interest of the child. So yes, it's important to share history and background. And if there was domestic violence or if there was coercion or control, but it doesn't need to be the entire focus and emotions. Yeah. It, it's important to show emotion, to be real, but what's, what's critical is sharing the facts. Like you said, we need to know what happened, what's happening now, and what can we do to make sure that your child can be raised either in one home or in two homes in a way that's healthy and happy. Yes, I love that. And safe. <laughs> and safe, and safe, exactly. Um, okay, so so I wanted to thank you for being here, obviously. And then I have a surprise question for you because in one of our emails, you said, one of my favorite things is the cute things that kids say. <laughs> so I need, if you can think of a couple, there used to be a show that was kids say the darndest things and it was hilarious. 
So what are a couple things that you can share confidentially that were a couple of the cutest things in, in the work that you do that you have, have heard kids say? Oh, this is a great one. Oh my goodness. I've heard it all. <laughs> Let me think. Well, recently I'll share one example of my 16 year old daughter recently asked when her birth certificate and social security oh. number expires, could she please have the date of expiration? <laughs> that's, that is so cute. Um, that's what you had written me. That is funny. You know what, if we're going to have a certificate expire, why isn't it the certificate of marriage? And then we could decide if we wanted to renew it or not. No, I'm, I'm kidding. But, um, <laughs> It did when you wrote that. It did make me think of some of the funny things that kids do say, and I I love that. You could have a podcast on, you know, the cute things kids say, and you get to interact with them all the time. So you're so lucky. Yeah, no, um, it's adorable. Okay. They get dates mixed up, times. They want to know. Well, is Thanksgiving going to be on Thursday or Friday next year? Because. I was recently doing an interview. This was right before Thanksgiving and the little one was asking me, wait, so Thanksgiving is the 24th, but I looked at the calendar and the 24th in 2024, it doesn't fall out on the Thursday. So when are we going to celebrate Thanksgiving? Like little things like that make me so happy. And I just, I can't stop smiling and laughing. Um, okay. Just because you brought up the Thanksgiving thing and you're talking about funny things kids say, a year ago, my husband said, what day does Thanksgiving fall on this year? <laughs> and I about died laughing because he had one rule when he proposed to me. And I think he mentioned this. He was on the podcast a couple uh, months ago. His rule when he proposed to me was I could not plan anything on Thanksgiving because that was the opening of duck season. <laughs> so, so when he asked me, what day does Thanksgiving fall on this year? I I thought that was so funny because he's a grown man. So that is, that is so cute. Um, I love, I love the things that kids say. I wish I would have written some, written some down. I'm going to narc on one of my children right now. Now she's grown now, but she was seven and I came home from work and there was a chair in the hallway and I have never told this story on here. And I was like, Oh, Shiloh, why is this chair in the hallway? And she goes, well, because the smoke detector was beeping. Well, I looked up and the smoke detector was still on the ceiling, but I noticed that the carbon monoxide detector was taken down. So she thought it was a smoke detector because it looked exactly like that. And, and she's sitting on the couch watching TV. And I said, so did you take it down? And she said, yeah. And I said, well, where is it? And she said, well, when I took it down, it said on it to move to fresh air. So I put it outside. <laughs> so she's, I... I laughed so hard, but she, she literally thought, you know, she's sitting in the house and it was only because the battery was going dead. So luckily it wasn't a carbon monoxide leak, but she's like, oh, it said to move to fresh air. So I put it outside. Oh, this is hysterical. That is so cute. Do you remember how old she was? She was in sixth grade and, and she's 26 now. And we, I mean, we still just die laughing about that. Um, okay. So for the listeners, I am obsessed with this woman that is on the podcast today. So um, I've already got a list of other topics for her and I've already warned her. I'm probably going to bother her. So you will hear her again on It's Not Normal, It's Toxic. But thank you so much, Elle, for being here. And thank you so much for the work you're doing 
it is amazing. And we, we, we need more people like you doing that work. Oh, thank you for having me. And if you, do you have any, any last famous things or suggestions or quotes or advice for the listeners before, um, before we end the podcast? Stay strong, stay smart. And like we discussed before we hit record, ask, believe, and you will receive. Yes, I love that. And you know what? We need affirmations because, well, anybody going through just life needs that kind of encouragement. Um, so once again, thank you. And we will be seeing you again soon on, on the show. Thank you.